it's off. And we're live. Welcome to another week of the Questioning Commission. Uh, my name is Chase, and I'm joined by. I'm Gwenzo Ushema Pumulo, but you may call me Gwenzo for short. How's it, brother? How are you doing? I'm well, man. How are you? Another week. I I really said you quite weak this time around, I'd say, compared to the past yeah. three, four weeks you've had on the on the podcast, two of which were published. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's been interesting, but then it's always something to talk about. So let's get cracking, man. 100%, 100%. I thought that this week we'd kind of stray away from South Africa for a little bit. Um, I think that yeah. we have shit on the NC for a little bit too much. So keeping yeah. in the theme that we have our roots in IR and we are children mm. of IR, I thought that it'd be quite cool to start this week off with a story. Mm-hmm. So once upon a time, a long time ago, uh-huh. about a year ago, Let's put it like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a land, in the land of America, there was a guy. The name is Jordan Goodrow, <laughs> and mm-hmm. this guy, he was a Green Beret. Um, and you know, the people that served with him basically said that he was a good soldier, but he was nothing more. He wasn't a leader of men. He was just he got in. He's exceptionally average. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so he left the military in a cloud of disputes after it was uh, found out that he had um, siphoned off um, housing stipends, right? And he mm-hmm. managed to get honorably discharged and so forth. Mm-hmm. So for a couple of years, he just goes around chilling and whatnot. And then mm-hmm. enter 2019, uh, yeah. young Jordan decides to go down to Florida and start up his own security company. Uh, PMC, if you will, private military contractor. And he Uh established Silver Corp USA. So Mm -hmm. he, if you go to his Instagram, which is still active, you will see maybe 30 pictures of him as the only employee at the time running on Mm -hmm. treadmills and with his shirt off. He's a real, you know, as a kid say, Instagram thought. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so he provided a number of security stuff. Uh, his main claim to fame was that he once provided external security to Donald Trump at a rally. Now, to shift the story, as we know, Venezuela is one of the, is going through quite a, has been going through uh, years of strife and uh, and pleasantry in terms of the people that have led it. So, I mean, you get Hugo Chavez, uh, and he was unable to help the millions of people that were dying of extreme poverty. And then you had Nicolas Maduro, the current president, and he has plunged the uh, millions mm-hmm. back into extreme hardship. I mean, years of cheap crude mm-hmm. have com- combined with inept governments and endemic corruption. Um, some inherited from Chavez to leave the local currency worthless and electri- electricity, gas, and food scarce, you know. So mm-hmm. with the, let's say, the demise of Maduro, you had people such as um, the, the, let's say, the unsung hero, you know. Um, sorry, sorry, um, 
Madura, you say Madura and Paolo, and then you have, um, sorry, I, I don't know, the names just escaped me. Uh, Madura, who's the guy in charge now? Uh, Wait, there's, I know there's the guy who's backed by the, by the yes, US. Yes, what's that guy's name again? Um, Let me just have sorry, a look. This, Guido. Guido, yes, Guido. Yes. Right. Right, yes. Sorry. Yes. So you got Guido, right? And we don't know how, but you know that Colombia has been going through some strife and stuff like that. So Guido is in exile at the moment. And he's, he wants to assume power. Mm-hmm. power. Uh, he thought that he could do it via military coup. The only problem is that uh, Maduro is basically has the military in his back pocket. So, mm. um, Guido decided that he was going to get uh, somebody to help overthrow them. Um, this is obviously, he mm-hmm. denies it. But uh, he set up a training, training camp in Colombia. Well, these people set up a training yeah. camp. And they asked young Jordan to come out and basically see what's what, you know, see, establish... And train the ground troops, you know, so that they could um, work to overthrow um, Maduro. Maduro. So, Gord, uh, Goodrow did manage to secure one international gig where he helped uh, guard the Venezuela aid live concert in the Colombian border city of uh, Cucata in February 2019. Remember, this is the one where mm-hmm. they were parading on the bridge and... Um, the uh, Maduro wouldn't let the troops in, uh, the the aid mm-hmm. in, right? And yeah. everybody was just like, "Oh no, oh no, we need to support Guaido, right?" And Richard Branson mm-hmm. fund funded the entire show to bring humanitarian aid to Venezuela and so forth, right? And basically, mm-hmm. um, in the video that he posted, Goodrow posted on his Instagram account, he said he took a video of the well-behaved crowd bouncing along to a DJ set. He, and then he captioned it, controlling chaos on the Venezuela border, where a dictator looks on with apprehension. That's what he quoted it. And it's just like a video of people dancing in the crowd. Uh, so mm. by then, the um, relations between the US and Venezuela, never friendly under Chavez or Maduro, had soured further. In January 2019, following disputed elections, the U.S. joined about 60 other countries in declaring Guaido the rightful president. A few weeks later, Trump also suggested he might send in the American military to support Guaido's claim. The U.S. put the 15 million bounty on Maduro in March. So, I mean, if you, to give a little backstory, uh, the U.S. has intervened a number of times in Latin America, you look at the Bay of Pigs, which was quite a, it was a meddling and a mishap, right? So yeah, what happened was, I'm going to just cut to the gist of the story, right? So young J- Jordan decided that he's going to hire two of his friends, uh, Aaron Berry, a former special office, uh, special forces um, captain, as well as Nick Denham, mm-hmm. another special forces mm-hmm. guy, both out of Texas. And they were going to be yeah. the, the main captains of this raid with a local militia, right? So Jordan yeah. uh, got weapons. He was paid up front 50000 
And the deal that he had with Guaido was that um, should he succeed and give Guaido um, the regime, that he'd have shares in um, national resources and so forth, as well as a $50 million. $50 million. Mm-hmm. Long story short, um, they go out on this raid. It's just Nick, Nick and Aaron Berry. They're going out. And as they're going out, young Jordan, could, I don't know why he couldn't get a flight out, but he's live streaming the entire thing, uh, the, the invasion, right? He's telling them exactly, oh, my, we're going to have an air ra- um, by sea raid. My men are coming. This is what's going to happen. And he told the whole of basically Venezuela. So Nick mm. Denham and Aaron Berry are caught by fishermen, right? These special forces guys are caught by fishermen and <laughs> all their weapons are confiscated and they were just overpowered in a matter of seconds, right? So mm-hmm. young Jordan, he live-tweeted the whole thing. Like, everybody knew about the raid before it happened. So they get mm-hmm. arrested and it's shown on TV and everything. And Jordan uh, meets up with the former general, uh, the Venezuelan general uh, Lopez, uh, Leopoldo Lopez. And he's, he's live tweeting this. Um, he has an interview and he says that um, they're going to launch another attack. And this is just one of many assaults. The, man, the Venezuelans managed to capture the other team, which is made up of a bunch of locals. And they only, it was about 50 guys and they had 30 assault rifles. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy man like you couldn't it's literally a movie uh, you literally he live tweeted the entire event of how he was gonna yeah. throw a, overthrow Maduro and boom it's gone um, the mm. reason I brought this up is uh, Aaron Berry and Nick Denham so they were paraded on the media and obviously treason is the death penalty in Venezuela um, however mm. Um, however, I don't know why the Venezuelans decided to spare their life. So this week they've been sentenced to, I think, 35 years each imprisonment, um, which is quite crazy. However, the the funny thing is that knowing that Goodrow is such a social media aficionado, he recorded himself and Guaido signing a contract that Guaido disagrees on and the uh, bizarre promises that he gave. So it says mm. that um, that it promised the deal promised Goudreau a 1.5 million retainer and a 212 million payable in barrels of oil if he succeeded in deposing Maduro, right? Mm. And Goudreau basically um, recorded this entire signing of this conference and everything. And now Guaido's just mm-hmm. shut mouth about it. Like he's denying it through his teeth. Um, it's quite funny, actually. And all of a sudden, Guido's gone exile. He's not posting as much on Instagram and everything. But what I kind of wanted to take away from this was we've seen in Trump's campaign that he's, well, he's out of the ordinary. And it's not far from the out of the realms of possibility that he might have pushed Goodrow into that kind of sphere of thinking that maybe should get involved. Because we've seen that in recent times, I wouldn't say that 
Trump is very anti-military, but in the sense that he's he's uh what's the right word? You know, he he, he likes thinking outside the box in a sense. <laughs> and uh to put for lack of better words, and I think that I mean Goodrow provided security for him. I mean, it's kind of a thing like you don't really back him, but you know of his plan. And if it succeeds, then you claim credit for him. You know, I think that was the kind of arrangement yeah. because everybody knew. I mean, the Colombians had uh, stopped some of the training camps within Colombia. Uh, Colombia had seized the weapons mm. before the raid actually began. Um, everybody mm. knew about this raid and they still went on with it. Mm. So I think people were just like, let's see what this guy does. And it was a fail from the get-go. And yeah. now everybody's distancing themselves, you know. Um, so I thought that was quite funny. Uh, I just thought I'd bring that to the group. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on it? Um, yeah. For me, what, what sticks out is, is the bounty of 15 million US dollars. Yeah. That sticks out for me because the bounty that Trump and co placed on Maduro. They, for them, it was the right thing to do. It was justifiable in the sense of what they wanted to achieve, right? But then when Iran put out a bounty on Trump, mm. how did the world react? Yeah. It was a different story. Because now if you look at the bounty and you look at the fact that, as you said, 60 countries were with the US in declaring Guaido as the new president of Venezuela. But then now, in, in, in you confirming and saying, yes, we agree as the new president, you say we agree to the bounty as well. But then when Iran puts out a bounty on Trump, it's a different story. They're terrorists, mm. they're this, that, the other. Yeah, it's, it's those double standards of the international community that, for me, really stick out in this particular story. Because if it was vice versa, let's assume it was I don't know, a bunch of Iranians trying to infiltrate some country that's part of the European Union. Yeah. It would have been an attack on that particular country, those forces, and probably some neighboring states, blame it on ISIS and what on what have you. But then because it was a superpower being involved in some way that is a bit dodgy mm. in the overturning and uprooting of a government in a poorer country. Mm the response was there was no condemnation from even South Africa. It didn't barely say anything about a stance whereby the government says we are opposing the actions of the people that are trying to, to uproot and overturn the system in Venezuela. So for me, those two points, they stick out. Mm. The 60, 60 countries declaring someone as president. And this, I think, in itself speaks to the issue of, I don't want to sway away here too much from the point, mm. But then it speaks to the to the problem of superpowers or the richer countries feeling as if whatever they say goes, because if you look at the elections, they monitor elections of other countries, especially in Africa and Latin America mm-hmm. and some Asian countries that are not as well off as your China, Singapore, Thailand, etc., and Taiwan and whatever and what have you. But then not once in my life, as a guy was followed news from the time I was like, I don't know, I was a kid. Mm. That's how I learned to speak English. I've followed news for as long as I can remember. Yeah. And not once do I recall a case in which 
let's say it's the French elections or the British elections or where, wherever in the North, mm. have we seen observers come from Africa, South America to observe elections and ensure that they're free, democratic, mm. and there's no bias or any form of violence or any form of pressure. Mm. But then to stick to the point, okay, so I've, I've, I've made the reference to the 60 countries and the $15 million bounty. Yeah. Those two things are a problem on its own. For me, another point that sticks out is the 35 years in prison sentence. I personally think they won't spend those 35 years in prison. I foresee probably by early 2022, they might be out. I, they might be out. No, continue. Yeah, go no, on. No, continue. Uh, I just want to chat about that point, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So concerning the 35 years in prison, I feel like Venezuela might use these sentences as a way to try and create a change in how they are viewed and how they operate in the system, the international order. And they might try to use this as a point in which by they can try to garner some foreign aid. Because if you look at there's no water, as you said, electricity is a problem. There's food shortages, as you said, as well. So I think they might try to use this not as, as a trump card, excuse the pun, mm. not as a trump card, but then as a means of trying to say we're human enough we are civil. We are not the people who you think we are. We're not just some, a bunch of scavengers running around in the wilderness tearing down a country. We are more human than you think. And in light of this, we have sentenced these guys for 35 years. We've given them one year. We've let them out. Now let's try and negotiate for an open Venezuela, Venezuela that gets aid, that gets trade, etc., etc. But yeah, you could go on. A couple of points on that. So I just found the thing. So basically, you got a $50,000 retainer, right? They weren't paying him all the money up front. Mm. And so here it goes that on mm. January 13, Silver Corp obtained a last-minute loan from an undisclosed source, according to the Leon filing. Three days later, Goodrow, Berry, and Denham boarded a private plane in Miami and flew to Columbia. Not long after, mm-hmm. Denman sent an encrypted text to his brother with the details of the job. Denman, too, said the coup had U.S. government backing. He texted his brother, mm-hmm. Mark, and Mark says he wrote back, clear and, clear and present danger, alluding to the book-turned-movie in which the government disavows knowledge of a CIT, CIA team that gets into trouble in Colombia. See, he says his brother waved away mm-hmm. his worries. He didn't believe in that stuff, Mark says. I always called him Captain America. He's very patriotic. There had once been 300 men in Colombia mm. waiting for Goodrow and his buddies to train them. Now there were perhaps 60, including the 20 or so uh, uh, Denman and Barry had previously met. Fearing they'd been mm-hmm. infiltrated by spies of the Maduro government, the leaders, in, the leaders in Colombia had cut loose most of their already tiny force. Kudrow returned to mm-hmm. Florida to scrounge for more funds, leaving Berry and Denman behind to train the remaining fight, uh, fighters. So, two things, right? Mm-hmm. This shows that people didn't really put 100% into this raid, besides Kudrow, right? And it's kind of yeah. funny how, before they were about to fly out, uh, Denman sends this text saying, clear and present danger, alluding to the book. Right about how the government disavows knowledge of CIT. I mean, he makes that reference, which is quite funny. Yeah. So maybe 
Goudreau tried to prove that and mm. uh, prove that he knew Trump. Maybe he showed them photos of him guarding Trump at some rally and so forth and so forth, right? But yeah. the thing that I don't think will happen about the prison sentences. So Maduro's shown that he doesn't want humanitarian aid. And I don't think he'd want to save face in terms of the whole coup thing, because obviously this coup was going to lead to us in, into an assassination attempt on his life. So I don't think he'll, mm-hmm. re, I think he's going to put these guys through a hole. They're going to be tortured and so forth. They're not going to enjoy prison. And I don't think they're going to yeah. leave Venezuela alive, if we want to be brutally honest. But what gets me yeah. is that these guys are meant to be special forces, right? And they, they yeah. walked around with no weapons and it's like they got caught by fishermen. And that tells me like they themselves were confused, man. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Yeah. But yeah, I know you've got some topics you want to chat about. So let's get into that, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am I am going against the norm of the past what two weeks, three weeks that we have had the post podcast running publicly. All right. And we have been Pretty, pretty pessimistic, you know, pretty negative, you know, all day, every day, it's all about bashing the NC, this, that, the other, always complaining. And as I say, if you're complaining and doing nothing, you're part of the problem. 100%. So I decided to to just, you know, move away from complaining and <laughs> and bitching and moaning all day, you know. Okay. So I've, I, I in, intentionally looked out for positive news concerning South Africa, you know, something to lift our spirits, something to, you know, just turn the tide, you know, just try and start over and see if we can actually find not just problems, but solutions as well. So it was quite, you know, motivating and, and reassuring to see that we got an investment, an investment of about 3 billion rands for the Dubai Trade Port in KZN. So that's near Kingshan International Airport. It's a special economic zone that is home to Samsung and Chem Energy. So just to give you a rundown of what I came across, and this was in the Independence Online, the author was not listed, so that's a rather unfortunate part, but then nonetheless, we'll take the good news. Good news is good news, irrespective of where it comes from, right? So the Dubai Trade Ports got a, an investment of about 3 billion rands. That's foreign investments, about 3 billion rands. Samsung Electronics plans to manufacture the quantum dot televisions and refrigerators. So I think if a giant like Samsung is willing to put manufacturing at home in South Africa, in this country, and actually believe in our our capabilities or infrastructure, it's reassuring, to be honest. It's quite positive news. Job-wise, from a number of factors, Samsung employs people. We're going to need to impress some drivers to move the stuff in between the two points. The airports, airport staff needs to be employed to handle all that. You know, it's, it's going to be reassuring and quite good for the country's aviation and all that in between. Okay. So the the MEC for trade and industry in KZN, Numu Satube Ngube, also visited Chem Energy, who is responsible for the manufacture of fuel cell products that are used in off-grid telecommunications power supply. Mm. That's that's also impo- an important part, especially with our country still going through load shedding. So just to keep the connectivity going, you know, mm. your cell sees, 
MTN, Telcom, Vodacom, etc. In order for them to keep the connectivity going during load shading, they actually need these fuel cells to help power the towers while the power's out. This is important because recently, over the past year or two, including this year, there's been a surge in the stealing of batteries that power towers by criminals who use these batteries and sell them to people who supply offline energy or solar energy or alternative energies and try to move you away from the grid. So that's quite important as well. So there's a number of positives in that sense. In, the, in, in, in terms of creating jobs, firstly, and secondly, creating a more stable network. So this was important for e-commerce and other things involved in between and the like. Interesting. So I just got a, I just have a code here from the the article. It states, at Dubai Trade Ports, there are nine investments worth 3.2 billion rands that have been approved and are not yet operational due to the lockdown conditions. These investments present opportunities for emerging small players and will create an estimated 2,342 direct jobs. So that's quite a lot in any language, especially in these. Um, over 2,000 jobs is quite a lot, and these are only direct jobs. So you might find that there's going to be an, incre an increase in the number of employment and wealth growth within the area because now you're going to have people who are going to be selling food, people who will be mm. providing transports, people who will be providing other things that, that workers need and et cetera, and the companies need as well. And it further states that as we move forward, we expect an investment of more than 18 billion rands at the Dubai Trade Sports second phase of 45 hectares of prime industrial land, said Nomusa Dubai on Friday. So personally for me, it's this is really great news. You know, this is about 21 billion rands invested in one mm -hmm. zone. And there's a new phase being open pretty soon, which is about 45 hectares of industrial land. So there's there's plenty of opportunities to be honest. I think the the ground is ripe, mm. but then we have to be care, careful in planting the right seeds because it's one thing to have the ground and not have the seeds to plant. Yeah. So I'm not sure how you're feeling about this. How do you think? Do you think this is maybe the catalyst of you know a new economy, a new South Africa, a new South Africa as we know it before? You know, we were once the the main investment hub of Africa and we kind of lost that you know to Egypt, Algeria, Ethiopia. So I do think this is maybe the turn in our fortunes where we can go back and be the gateway to Africa as they call us sometimes. Do you think this is the turn whereby we become that country again? You know what? Okay, I know we trying to be optimistic, but it's our it's our race to lose, you know, right? COVID has pre presented an opportunity where we can kind of do a South Africa first kind of approach, you know. Um, yeah. I think we discussed it earlier or in a previous podcast how we should, to strengthen our, our country, we have to focus on our local infrastructure and industria. Yeah. I told you how I had yeah. a conversation with my aunt and she was basically making mention that Due to COVID and obviously uh, imports and exports uh, due to like health, re health and safety regulations, they had a problem with the supply, supply and demand. Um, mm -hmm. Hence the need to kind of look at local distributors of uh, clothing and manufacturing. Um, so a new yeah. approach has been uh, taken on by uh, the Fashini group in the sense that 
80% of all business will now be locally based, locally and regionally based. So that includes uh, countries yeah. like Lesotho and Botswana because they are our neighbors. Um, yeah. And then 20% would be imports. And I think that, that kind of ties in with what you're saying. The time is now to kind of invent, reinvent ourselves. You know, uh, we, mm. we have all this opportunity and people want to do right, you know. The world has kind of shown us that every mm. country is going... COVID has shown that the world, every country is just looking after themselves first. And only we can help ourselves. Mm. Yes, we need yeah. uh, investment and so forth. But with the right investment mm. and the right buying, it's a culture, you know. Things won't change if people aren't on yeah. the same page and so forth, Right. So this is this. Yeah. There needs to be a trifecta of things that for this to be the catal- catalyst of change for good. You know, we need to have yeah. people buy in and want to get involved um, and work for these companies. Mm. You need to have mm. uh, stores coming in and saying, "Okay, cool, we're going to support support local manufacturing." We need mm-hmm. government understanding as well as. Mm anti-corruption, lack of corruption. Mm. Um, mm. We need investment. And then we just need mm-hmm. to have the right people in place to build the infrastructure and not steal it or damage it or burn it down when they're unhappy about wages mm. or something like that. It's a complete buy-in and overall. And only then can we say, okay, cool, this is, what, um, this is the change that we can effect. But the possibility is in our hands. The opportunity is in our hands. And I think that we can just make the most of it, you know. Um, so I do believe, I agree with you, yeah. that there's a lot of uh, positives coming up. And yeah. I think that this could be a new tide, a change in tides. Um, yeah. I think that it, we'd be our own worst enemy if we mess up this opportunity. Um, True. Yeah, I just think that we need to maybe support homegrown business, uh, especially if we, we show that we have the capabilities for it. I saw that um, there was an article in the week. I just remember the headline, don't quote me on it. But uh, so a South African health technology company is being um, has been given a U.S. government contract I think it's got to do with uh, sanitization or something like that. Um, mm. I just saw that headline in the week. I'll find it and then I'll post it on uh, social media. Um, but I was like, mm. that's quite interesting. And I think that if we keep this up, then we can be a force within the world. Um, yeah. I think that, that, that that's kind of the idea that we need to get going. And I think we need to stop thinking of ourselves as a a small force in the world. We are basically, we have the potential to be real players in the international sphere, you know? Yeah. Um, I think you, people forget what we've given the world. I mean, we weren't we the first people that had the first open heart surgery. That was us. You know, mm-hmm. we, we yeah. established our nuclear program and then we canceled it, you know? We, there's lots of stuff that we've done that is good and we can't gloss over that facts. 
we may not be as yeah. strong as we once were, but we have the potential to get there. Mm. And people seem to forget that, you know. And I think it's got to do with yeah. the cultural change and education. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I, I fully agree with you 100%. You know, we are, I think, at the cusp of a, of a, new, of a new era, you know, a new dawn. And I feel, as you said, if we let this opportunity slide, we might find ourselves in a big shithole. Mm. 20, 30 years from now, when we have the next COVID-19, we'll probably be dead by then, you and I. But then yeah, that's that's a story for another day. Look, I, I I feel optimistic because you spoke about the government and, and its willingness to help these initiatives prosper. And I, I think we are at the perfect time to actually have policy changes that allow for foreign investment and local collaboration to actually happen. And that's why this leads me to the point of SAA whereby we've seen governments mm. being open to investors in SAA. Government has been open to having private investors in telecom as well. So I think that change in mentality, that change in how we do business is, is positive. As much as it's, it's slow and it's been due for years now, it's here nonetheless and you should be happy about that. Mm. And that in itself the opportunity whereby we can see these state organs, these SOEs, these you know these companies that are run by the government become not just you know trainers of the coffers, but then actually suppliers to the coffers. You know whereby we can see your telecom or your or your SAA, your DNL, etc. Mm-hmm. Actually contribute profits and taxes to the government. So I've seen that Ethiopian is is interested in investing in SAA. I've seen that Emirates isn't it's interested in culture with SAA. So all these signs, all these, you know, these positions are reassuring by we're seeing as much as we've done badly for the past, I don't want to say 21, 25 years of democracy, 26 years of democracy. But even prior to that, we've had cases of corruption prior to democracy. But then it was a different story because it was during apartheid. Mm. So I, I think that the at the right place to start over, you know, this whole corona thing has given us a chance to have a clean slate, to look, to introspect, and and try look at and think in the next 10 years, in the next 15 years, when another pandemic yeah. happens, where will, where will we stand? No. So it's interesting because I've seen that the ANC, as much as they've squandered about half a trillion rand in, in PPE funds, mm. They are nonetheless looking within and they are trying to, you know, find a way forward. I've seen that David Mabuza as well is is backing the call to, you know, investigate, look at them. And I don't remember which province it was. It was one of the provinces whereby a few members of the provincial council or legislature or provincial leadership stepped aside because they are being you know, investigated and they, which clearly means that if you're willing to step aside willingly, you did something wrong. So even that in its yeah. change, that in itself, yeah. that there's no, slowly but surely a change in the culture within the ANC. And I hope that in itself will now then give rise to this new understanding of how to do business, how to do governments, how to, you know, how to do, how to do corruption, you know, smart corruption is your yeah. 10 bridges, build nine, yeah. One. 
But here's my question. And Sorry. yeah, um, I wanted to actually ask you a question on that. Do you see this change sure. in evolution in the NC? Do you think it's new blood within the NC that is uh, changing this, bringing about this change of accountability? Mm-hmm. Or do you think it's just mm-hmm. because it's so well publicized, do you think that there's pressure on them and they have to make example out of it? I, I personally, I don't think it's the new blood. Because if you look closely, you'd see that it's the old guard that is bringing up these notions of trying to, you know, fight corruption and what have you. But I think what is is driving and forcing of existence, because they can see that if they keep this up, they might go extinct. South Africans are fed up. You know, I saw that within the next coming weeks, I think at the end of September, there'll be a, a march by one million people against corruption. I don't know how effective that will be, but then it's just a march and corruption is all there. But then the practicality, the, the message behind the, the, the mm. march is nonetheless symbolic. In terms of being effective in real life, you know, practically speaking, it's it's a different story. But then you can march nonetheless if you feel like you can, you know, spend a day in the sun will help get some money back, then you can go ahead, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I don't want to be that guy, you know. I I, I, I think the the problem of existence, can I exist beyond the next elections or the next three elections, to be honest, because if you keep this up, you can't, you can't squander half a trillion rands and expect people to just sit back and relax. So that in itself will show in the ballots when we vote mm. again. So I think that they're now trying to clean up before they don't have the kind of room whereby they can just show up six months before elections, give you a food parcel and give mm. you a, a T-shirt and say, vote for me next week or in six months' time. It's now a case whereby it's so well publicized, you know, mm. young and old, or everyone is angry. So they have to start now. So basically what they're doing now is they're campaigning for the next elections. That's how I see This is a campaign for the next elections because if you look at the last elections, the numbers dropped. So now it's it's those numbers dropping. It's it's the corruption, it's the PPE, it's job losses, it's poverty, it's all these things. So you have to try and make things better before no. you go extinct. You know, if you don't adapt, you might go extinct. But anyway, that's good news. No change in culture. It's positive change in the culture. is good news. So I think I'll I make that the silver lining for this point. And switch around. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, yeah, the let's Czech go. Republic and China. Uh, so you got uh, the Czech president mm. tries to tamp mm. down China anger after Speaker's Taiwan trip. President Milos Zeman sought on Sunday mm-hmm. to defuse a row with China over a visit by the head of the Czech Senate to Taiwan, claiming the speakers are boyers of provocation. 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 Sorry, I don't know where's my English. <laughs> uh, China is warning uh-huh. retaliation <laughs> in response to the visit to Taiwan by the Czech Senate delegation saying that the Senate president, Milos Vistral, crossed the red line and violated the one China principle under which Beijing asserts sovereignty over the island. As part of the business trip, which ended Friday, Vistral mm-hmm. delivered a speech in Taiwan's parliament and met with the president. China said 
Visceral's visit was an open provocation mm-hmm. with the foreign minister Wang Yi, Wang Yi warning that Visceral would pay a heavy price. This threat led to criticism from the European Union leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, China considers Taiwan a renegade province. Analysts in Czech Republic say actions taken by China, if any, mm-hmm. may include freezing the diplomatic ties with Prague, liquidating China-owned stakes in several Czech companies, and restricting Prague-bound Czech tourists. Prague Mayor Zedink Rub mm-hmm. said he had experience with China's sanctions last year. He describes it as the sanctions as laughable and pathetic. Hebrew later branded China as a country filled with hatred and an mm-hmm. unreliable business partner. Che- citing Czech analyst, he said China mm. contributed to 1% of Czech's, Czech Republic's GDP, 0.42% of all foreign direct investments, <laughs> and 1.5% of Czech exports, the latter which has been declining since 2017. This is I, and mm-hmm. Ch- Ch- Prague says that they're not going to be bullied, right? They, uh, China means nothing to them. As such, they will not be allowed themselves to be bullied yeah. and, uh, by China, which is quite interesting, right? And this approach has been lauded by all the other European uh, mm. unions. And this speaks to China's expansion mm-hmm. program. We saw it with Hong Kong. We're starting to see it with yeah. Taiwan, right? We're seeing it with India. Mm. It's just going over, all over the yeah. show, you know? And mm. I don't know who's going to stop this, right? The expansion progress. I mean, it ties into yeah. another article I saw. Uh, the Pacific nation of Pailu has invited the U.S. to build a military base on their island to counter China. Right, the West Western Pacific nation mm-hmm. of Pailu has urged the United States to bu- military to build bases on its territory in the heart of a region where Washington is pushing back against growing Chinese influence. Pailu's president Tommy Remigensu mm-hmm. Jr. later revealed he had told Esper the U.S. military w- was welcome to build facilities in the country. In a letter apparently hand-delivered to the Defense Secretary, Remegensu urged the U.S. to commit to military infrastructure on the island. It's quite interesting that people are begging the U.S. for help, you know. Um, But it speaks (laughs) to the China issue. Uh, Who's going to stop them? When are they going to say, like, when is everybody going to band together and say, hold the fuck up, you know? Is it going to be when it's too late? Because they, they're taking over yeah. Taiwan now. Yeah. They're trying to take over ba- Hong Kong, right? Where does it stop? They're, gonna try to, they're messing around with India. And let's not mm-hmm. forget that India has nuclear weapons. You kind of... Mm. I, I, I don't know enough about India, but I know that... Those mother, like, you can't play around with nuclear powers, you know? And we know... We discussed the matter yeah. last yeah. year or years That's ago true. about how India got their nuclear weapons so that they could be a force to be reckoned with. And it's because they were once a colony and they wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, 
show the face, you know, they want it to be recognized as a superpower. And I don't think that they're going to take this lying down. Mm. Exactly. Look, the, the, the Chinese program is, at first, it was, it was admirable to see a country, you know, rising from the ashes, you know, building bridges and building roads, most of which are falling apart because of the poor quality material, but then that's besides the point. <laughs> Look, the, the, I feel like we're at the point now whereby the mm. world is sending up to China, mainly the West, because recently I saw that Germany, the German Foreign Council was having talks mm. with China whereby they, were tr- they want to try and change the balance of the relationship between Germany and China. Yes, China accounts for a huge, huge amount of German GDP in terms of VW, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Puma, Adidas, and all these other German companies that are, that are operating in China. So, But Germany is now saying they want mm. to try and reshape that relationship. They want to try and find new mm. markets so they mm. can decrease the dependence yeah. on China. That's Germany, right? The US, on the other hand, has been performing for the past couple of months now, I think the past four months, freedom of navigation exercises in the South China Sea. So they'd send out their their warships, they'd send out all the, the, their planes and what have you to just show the, the, the Chinese that, hey guys, we're still here and you've got allies in your background. So just be cautious of what you do because if you play with fire, you might get burned. So that in itself shows that there's been a stand-up to, mm. to China, right? Then there's Australia. Australia, I think in the first days of COVID-19, yeah. like before we even had our first case, while we are still seeing COVID-19, there's something that's just on TV and not in, in person, Australia called for the private investigation, independence mm. investigation of where COVID-19 came from. Because the suspicion was that it was, you know, a biochemical or a bioweapon, if you wish. So that in itself shows that, you know, there's a mm. stand-up to, to China. Then there's India. <laughs> yeah, I've got all these files, man. I've got all the files. I've got all the files. Then, then there's India. India has recently, with the whole border dispute thing, banned about 150 Chinese apps to, for use. So that's includes, that includes mm. TikTok and PUBG as well. It's banned and then as a means to try and say, hey, as much as you may think you're the main player, I also have a billion people, a billion people in my pockets as well. So if I if I say no to a billion people using your apps, it's gonna hit your pockets definitely. And and Indians are big gamers, to be honest. Indians are big gamers. Coming from those guys are they're always on our server, you know. Exactly, exactly. And besides that, India has now begun mm. building infrastructure at the border, at the, mm. call it, they call it the actual land of control, the border that's shared by China and India. Because China uses what they call the salami slicing policy, whereby they just take an inch of your, of your land, an inch of your land, an inch of your land, yeah. and the next thing you know, you're out of land, you know? So has been fighting back by now building these infrastructures or building infrastructure that they're going to need, you know, for their planes, for their, uh, for their military vans, or their military trucks and what have you, because India did not build any infrastructure by the mm. border to show that they're yeah, not yeah. interested in engaging in any form of war. But then China 
bases, they built roads, they built everything they needed to actually engage in war. So now India is ramping up the building of, of infrastructure by the border to say that if anything happens, we're willing to fight. And recently, I think it was within this week or last week, I think it was within this week or last week, India was managed to defeat China in a dispute at the border and take hold of one of China's bases. So, uh, so there's a lot we happening. The job yeah. that we need to give oh, our Mozambican brothers uh, bullets, right? I found something hilarious happening. So, uh-huh. you know, tension has been growing since May um, with India and China along the border, in the, the Himalayan border, in the Gal- Galwa Valley. And the two verbal warnings yeah. and stone throwing were reported between the two sides in June. And this is escalated mm. into a full-blown assault in June. Mm. The v- worst violence between the two sides since 1967. Mm-hmm. They engaged in hand-to-hand combat with rocks mm-hmm. and spike clubs, which resulted in the deaths of mm-hmm. two Indi- 20 Indian soldiers. I mean, are these guys fighting with... They're fighting with their hands, rocks and stones, mm-hmm. and spike clubs, my man. There's some, it seems like something out of the Middle Ages. I mean, we don't, th- these guys, soldiers didn't die from guns or bullets, they died from rocks and spiked mm. clubs. Mm. I mean, Mozambique must uh, must give it guns <laughs> to India and uh, China. I mean, wh- why are the Chinese not fighting with guns? Like, is this like, do they have agreement? Okay, cool. No guns. Let's get our swords. Fuck, it's going to be like samurais on the border versus spears, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the reason why there are no guns at the border is because it's an agreement between India and China to try and keep the area peaceful. So the agreement says you can't use any weapons such as guns or bombers or military tanks and what have you. You can, you can only have, you know, personnel stationed there just to keep guard of the area and to ensure that one does not salami slice I didn't know that. So I, I you can that didn't know that. That's crazy. It's 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 their policy. So even if you look at the South China mm-hmm. Sea, it's the same policy of building islands. It's you just take up a bit, you know, just you build an island there, not don't make too much noise. You build another island there, don't make too much noise. Then before before you know it, you can just claim the whole area. As your own, because you know with the ocean, right? You can claim at some distance out of your land, you know. So if your ocean and if your land ends ends here, then you can claim some ocean distance as well from the land. So if you keep building islands, it gives you more ocean mm. ocean to claim in that sense, if I can put it in that way. So China does this all the time across, you know, the South China Sea. It's their policy. No, uh, yeah, so I, I, slicing. I didn't know that, but also I was talking about the old gentleman agreement that they had with no weapons on the border. That's quite big of them, I guess. I, I didn't know that. That's it's very interesting. Um, yeah. I just wanted to yeah. take you to the Mediterranean yeah. for a little while. Uh, not on holiday. I just wanted to, to talk to you about the <laughs> Eastern Mediterranean at the moment. <laughs> I don't know if you've been following the tensions, right? But Turkey mm-hmm. and Greece are at war with mm-hmm. one another, or are in the initial throes of it. Um, the two mm-hmm. are disputing 
national mm. uh, natural carbon hydrocarbon gases in their territories. So, in a strongly uh, strong word, strongly worded speech, President Erdogan said that this week. Turkey is prepared for every possibility and consequence regarding the Eastern Mediterranean issue. Speaking at the open, opening ceremony of hospital in Istanbul, he stressed, mm-hmm. that, he stressed that Turkey has the political, economic, and military power to tear away any immoral maps and documents imposed by others. Ankara, which is the capital of Turkey, mm-hmm. and Athens have been locked in a bitter dispute of claims to potential hydrocarbon resources in the region, based on the conflicting uh, views on the, on the extent of the mm-hmm. continental shelves. Turkey sent a survey vessel, vessel escorted mm-hmm. by frigates to explore for oil and gas in the waters claimed by Greece, a move Athens said was illegal last month. A collision between Greek and Turkish warships shadowing the survey vessel last month highlighted the risk of conflict, whilst Turkey has also undertaken military drills. The EU has already imposed minor sanctions mm. against Ankara over the matter, and 70, 27 EU leaders will tackle it again soon as the upco- as, as soon as the as the upcoming meeting in Brussels. I find this very fascinating, right? As we know mm. that um, Turkey is kind of fighting a war on two ends, right? They've got Syria at the moment with ISIS. And then you've got this war with uh, Greece at the moment, right? And I don't know whether it's just Turkey being greedy for the resources, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think it'd be in their best interest to mm-hmm. get a war, to go to a war with Greek, you know, Greece. At the same time, right, does Greece have the, the economic resources mm-hmm. to fight I mean, they went bankrupt, was it like two years ago? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to make of that situation. I just thought it was quite interesting. Um, we, ne- we don't hear a lot of news out of Greece. Mm. Uh, but I think it's quite interesting. And in yeah. the same breath, since we're on uh, the issue of Turkey, Turkey um, has, has condemned mm. and declared YPG a terrorist group, which is quite interesting if I know we've spoken about YPG and we possibly joining YPG and so forth. Um, And (laughs) um, (laughs) it's quite interesting because, you know, YPG did the bulk of fighting against ISIS in Syria. And to declare them a terrorist group, it seems very short-sighted. But then again, the idea of declaring YPG Mm -hmm. a terrorist group is due to the fact that this would pose a threat to the government situation within Turkey, you know, Turkey doesn't like uh, any power sharing mm. of sorts. And so I think that's quite an interesting situation that we need to keep an eye on because if Turkey were to attack Greece, I think that we'd see a war within the EU, which is quite interesting when you look at the rhetoric of Brexit and European unions kind of looking after themselves. Who, Will Greece's allies step up, you know? Yeah. Uh, and do they have the economic resources to fight on their own? So I think that's going to be quite an interesting situation because Turkey does have the military uh, resources. Um, and I think it's, uh, you fight, Greece would, fight a, would be yeah. quite a, 
fighting a big power in that so so i think that's something we need to keep an eye on yeah look the greeks you know the greeks the last thing the last good thing they gave us <laughs> no, was plato getting hummus man hummus anyway. hummus is life <laughs> <laughs> I, I I you just took the words out of my mouth there with the with 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 Greece having to go to war that largely have to lie on, on their friends mm. in the in the EU. And I think that gets support for one particular reason, one particular mm. reason, bailouts. Greece has received large amounts of bailouts over the years from the EU. And I doubt that the partners in the EU would allow for those bailers to go to waste because if they lose those resources, they lose the war, they have to invest much in the military mm. and having to be in that war, they could possibly lose, they could possibly need more money from the EU, it could possibly weaken the euro, it could possibly be bad for trade, it could possibly be bad for movements across the EU, having that war going on. So I feel like as much as Turkey has the the military capabilities the people the machines it's a rock and hard place to fight mm. a block because it's a block you know you have your yeah. germanies your france etc it's it's a block so how do you as a country mm. now fight a block and honestly speaking this block yeah. also forms part of nato and and if push comes to shove what could possibly become of turkey it could possibly be you know a shadow a shadow of its former self but so it, this whole thing of disputing lands and resources but, it's quite tricky yeah go on i don't know i disagree with you in the sense of just bringing up nato in the sense that nato is more of a ornament you know when last have we seen nato troops get involved in anything to be honest as like as symbolic as the UN you know you mm. need to cut through the red tape with onwell <laughs> sorts because the there's so much requirements and prerequisites yeah. related to get involved so they need to invite by a nation and then it's just yeah. you know what it's easier to make a million than to uh get the nato involved as well as the UN so i think that's a <laughs> uh, another thing but like you said the a lot is going to cu- depend on the european union and its leaders um i think that it would yeah. be stupid of turkey to try to attack greece i think that once you attack mm-hmm. the eu you attack the entire european union and that's quite interesting interesting i mean you'd have germany coming to the defense the french and so forth um i just don't think it's a smart idea to be honest um turkey yeah. needs to focus on its borders with isis mm-hmm. you know that's how the germans lost they tried to fight on too many the nazis lost because they tried to fight wars on all four fronts you know they tried to find the russians they tried to fight um the americans yeah. at the same time and that's how they lost you know um so you can't spread your resources all across the board yeah. um yeah do you have any other takeaways mm. from this week or do you, yeah. do you do you want to say anything yeah no 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 i'm just saying that i just i think at, at times like these we just 
as 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 a civilization, as humanity, as a species, we just need to stop with the fighting for once and just try to get people eating every night, shelter every night, warm every night, and having clothes on their backs. You know, that's the most important thing, given that everyone is struggling right now. But anyway, yeah, we have to keep it moving. You know, it's the Greeks, it's the Turks, it's the Europeans, yeah. and the whole lot of it. There's something that was, I feel for me, it's quite important that happened this week. And it's, uh, I think it would be a game changer if it did happen. And it's, uh, it should have happened long ago, to be honest. It's it's taken long enough. I've had this question for years now. Is sign language an official language or not? Or does it count as, you know, one of the official languages expressed through um, sign? But then it turns out I was wrong. Because South Africa considers a 12th official language, according to Business Tech, and that is sign language. So I'm just going to give you a gist of the article, what I took away, and mm-hmm. we can just discuss from there on. So first point, the Parliamentary Constitutional Review Committee is considering recognizing South African sign language as the 12th official language, which I fully for. So the, the committee was addressing this problem at the launch of the South African Sign Language Charter, which was conceptualized to address the issues that relate to communication, access to information facilities, and social justice for the deaf community, including the type of services provided by the South African Sign Language interpreters in general. <laughs> Just a quick side note. Yeah. Remember Mandela's funeral, the guided sign language? Yeah, yeah. Yankees. The guy didn't know sign language, but then he was Sign. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it was, it was, I think it was a, a complete mess up to have a guy who doesn't know sign language so, signing for a guy like Obama. But in any way, such is life, right? You, if you do, if you try, you might just get there. If you try, you might just get there. The Charter seeks to promote the recognition of South African sign language as an official language to be included in subsection six. Record one of the Constitution Act 108 of 1996 and be adopted in terms of Section 234 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa Act 108 of 1996. Then there's a co chair from the Minister of Health, Zwilim Kiese, Dr. Zwilim Kiese. I need to put the doctor yeah. there because the guy is he's learned, he's a medical doctor by profession. So this will be available in request or on demand to assist the deaf community to access services, information, public institutions, and education with ease and in the language that they can understand. You know, this this is mm. it's it's a positive sign. It's a great sign, but I'm just worried about the technicalities hey, of, of in, execution. Because they they speak no, about no, I was gonna ask you in what regard yeah, sorry, go on. what would you say it would be a worry of yours in terms of the implementation. So they speak about accessing services. Usually, when you visit your local municipal offices, I've never I've been to a number of municipal municipal offices in Cape Town and in Durban, and I've mm. never never come across an interpreter. So, how long would it take to get those interpreters on board? How mm. long would it take to make that information public? to the people who are part of the community, the deaf community. Then they speak about access to information, which is, especially in this point in time, quite important because 
we are dealing in a time whereby we have addresses mm. from the presidents, from your ministers, etc., etc. I need that information to reach all citizens in a timely manner, in a manner that's correct, not being jinxed or being, you know, twisted and turned and being made into something else. So that in itself creates a problem because now as much as I may live in a city, I can access information via sign. But mm. then what about someone mm. who lives in the outskirts, you know, does, who has never mm. even learned language to begin with? You know, so how do we get people out in the in the bundus? How do we teach those people sign language? You know, public institutions, education with ease. It's it's all good on paper, but then practically speaking, knowing our country. But then mm. I feel like nonetheless, mm. it will take time. It's a step in the right direction. It's a step, you know, that matters most at this I, point in time. Uh, what do you it think? It kind of makes me proud to be a South African in that regard. Like, um, I think that people seem to forget that we have one of the most liberal constitutions in the world. And on paper, we're an incredibly accepting society on paper. Um, I think this is just one more step mm. into to bring about inclusivity. This is one more step to bring in uh, closer to inclusivity mm-hmm. and shaping a society where everybody is involved and pre um, and as I say, you know, I think that yeah. we've gone to great steps and lengths, especially if we look at the president's sonar addresses, um, his uh, emergency meetings that he's had now, and all the various press conferences. There is somebody speaking sign the entire time, right? Um, so I think that we. Yeah, are making great lengths, more so than other countries. I don't know. Uh, I've never seen press. Um, the US have a sign interpreter um, on stage with Trump or the various leaders. So I think that we are incredibly aware yeah. of the situation and trying to make uh, bring about steps of inclusivity. Um, yeah. I think it's a great step forward. I mean, you see this on the news. Uh, I think you ch- flip through SBC 1, SBC 2, SBC 3, mm. ETV. They all have a sign interpreter. Um, I think it's been something on the books for a long time now. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, yeah. it, it's good all in well in the urban environment, in our cities. But like you said, in the rural areas, we're going to have struggle just educating people about the matter. Uh, that being said... I think that yeah. it's not going to be a change tomorrow. I think it's going to be a rollout. And the question mm. is, are you going to find enough sign interpreters? Um, I don't know what the depth pool of sign interpreters uh, are. Um, would you re-educate uh, the staff yeah. in these various uh, public institutions? Or would you hire people? So it's an uh, in-depth mm. process. I don't know what that would look like, you mm. know. Um, because educating somebody in sign, yeah. that it's kind of hard, you know. They say that uh, learning a language uh, when you're over the age of 21 is incredibly hard. You need your best years in learning a language is from um, 8 to 16, right? Your mind is still open um, um, yeah. it's got a lot to do with linguistics actually so your alveolar um, is, is sh- mm. think of it as a, like an instrument right um, 
And if you keep singing, then your voice is going to mm. adapt uh, to that kind of tone, that that pitch that you have. And each each language is on yeah. a different frequency. So if you're only used to speaking at like let's say two hertz, right? It's hard to learn another language which is at a four hertz and mm. so forth. It's uh, it's quite scientific in the, that sense. Mm. So I think that it would be very hard. Like you wouldn't see the results as fast if we were to uh, retrain and re-educate um, uh, public institutions, employees uh, to, um, to like learn sign. So I think the best bet would be to actually go into the sign yeah. community and say, hey, there might be a position, but then you've got another instance where where do we find the money, you know, especially with um, budgets being cut and layoffs and all that. So I don't know in reality how it would happen but then again that's in the rural sector and we need to see that more like we're seeing progress being made in the urban sector um but i think it's it's very interesting that being said like if you look at it we we already have issues with people learning all 11 languages right it's hard like i don't think it's physically like you must be some kind of genius to know uh, more than three languages, right? It takes a level of in- intelligence and intellect to learn more than three languages. Um, and I, do- I don't know, like, yeah. it depends. Obviously, you get better at language the more you're, depending on your environment, right? So I, because I, my parents are yeah. Afrikaans and I'm an English speaker, it's like those are the two languages that I'm accustomed to. Um, but like my cousin is dog shit. Yeah. Uh, like we learned it from grade one to grade seven. Yeah. And I think that's about it. But like I don't get to practice it. I know a few terms and stuff like that. But like I'd say mm-hmm. that you lose mm-hmm. your ability to speak a language if you're not influenced or in that environment to practice, you know. Like I picked up some Thai when I was in Thailand. Like mm. I've lost it. I, I can't remember what I used to say because you're not in the environment speaking. So it's also going to be like mm. the frequency of people going to these institutions, right? Where are they going to practice sign? I mean, how many uh, people using sign are going to come into this institution? So you got to do the ratio. And I think, yeah, yeah I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I you see for me, I I just want to make those one points because I feel like it was it yesterday, yesterday, yes, I or Friday, I don't really remember, but then I heard, I heard this mm. ad on the radio about the census and whatnot. I feel like in light of this being now a matter that's been because it's not just mm. a matter of a nice to have; it's a human right, it's a language, an ability to communicate, an ability to enjoy your freedoms, an ability to enjoy mm. services and the rest of it. So next census, which is happening next year, Mm. is going to be very, very, very important, extremely important, critical, because it should be precise. It's, Mm. it's, there's millions of people in South Africa, you know, locals and foreigners alike. So we have to try and be precise as much as possible, because if we do not, we can easily miss not just the matter of sign language, but then also a matter of you know building hospitals, building schools, building roads, mm. 
and all those mm. things that we need to survive as a people. So the next says is absolutely, absolutely important. So if you're listening, just please participate and just give the correct information and just be sure to play by the book. It's it's a census. I, There's I nothing saw, to gain. It's a that. census. So you can't do anything. They were, they were cont- contemplating making the census online, in a sense. I think that that's part of it. They want to make it and. Mm. I think, yes, you should be given the option of doing it online. But also, I think that you have to Mm -hmm. make yourself available in the sense that, you know, when the census people come by, right, they they come to you. It's not an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we should do away with that person in um, census because I'm not going to, like, you just got to think about it, right? Why must I go out of my time to be counted, right? It's a kind of a, like a government thing that they should do themselves. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not saying that it's perfect, right? We shouldn't have this attitude, why must I go out of my inconvenience? But like, you've got to th- think about it realistically, right? Mm-hmm. People won't go fill out a form for inconvenience. Yeah. Now you're saying I must go drive to Balvo to go get uh, counted. No, why would I do that? Firstly, it's petrol. Uh, got to go stand in a queue. It's COVID now. I don't want to go stand in a queue. You got to think about all these things. Uh, I like that it's online, but then you also got to ask the question as to um, Wi-Fi. Do people are most South Africans connected to Wi-Fi? Who wants to waste their data on that? Um, how many pages? How long is it going to take? And so forth and so forth. <laughs> So I think the in-person uh, counting is going to be pivotal to actually getting the most accurate um, count, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you're going to have to try and find a balance between the physical headcounts of the population and also now mm. try to rely on the population register. But I'm sure they do. Look at the population register and see what the numbers are like there compared to the numbers you actually get on the actual physical headcounts of the population. And this brings, I think, into play the mm. importance of building branches of home affairs, you know, as many as possible by the bucket load. So get as many people as possible registered and on the population register as well. Because having one office here for a million people then another office there for another My million guy. people is not sustainable. People, for those reasons, choose not to go to home affairs. You know, it's it's a chore. So if you can build more offices, get more people on the population register, it's going to be it's going to be I'm easier for you, everyone right? involved. I go to Bangkok every morning at about seven o'clock, right, to pick up my workers, right. And the mm. queue for home affairs, my friend. Yeah, I lie. I won't lie to you. It's down the block, up the block, round the block, down the road. It is fucking long, like. <laughs> I'll get there I'll drive get to Marvel so about 6.30 and wait for my guys to get there at 7 and at 6.30 already there's minimum 100 people already yeah. waiting and that's every day home affairs mm-hmm. I, it baffles my mind yeah. it's a whole day outing right it is a whole day outing right and you're waiting yeah. in this queue and you yeah. get to the front when you do get to the front say now there's 10 tellers there's only two that's operational. It grinds my nuts. Yeah. Because, like, you see them in the background 
They're drinking water, <laughs> chatting. Like, there is no speed. There's no efficiency. I don't know what is happening. Home affairs, uh, like, fuck, dude. If, I don't know, you need to sit in the torture of home affairs and just, it's just unpleasant. It makes you question everything in your yeah. life. Um, and then, you know what the worst thing is, right? <laughs> The security guard at the door, I don't know oh. if some of them are helpful, some of them aren't, right? And if he, he's not paying attention, yeah. he can send you to the wrong line. And you will stand in that line till the front of the line and realize mm. that you're in the wrong line. And you'll have to go stand in another line. And that is my biggest fear when I go to home affairs, that I'm <laughs> standing in the wrong line. I, 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 I don't know. But also, I feel like there needs to be an office that kind of regulates. So, like, you, you get your birth certificate and you get your death certificate, right? And you'd think that there'd be a correlation so that, like, mm-hmm. when we get counted, right, we already have a ballpoint that there's 51 million, right? But, I mean, the census should narrow the down. So, it's 51, mm-hmm. and 51 million 800,000, right? Like, they, they, that's exact. So, you should have a ballpoint, yeah. right? With the death certificates and the birth certificates, mm. you know? Um, I don't know. I don't think that mm. maybe it's the hospital's fault or something. I don't know. You tell me. You just had a baby now, right? How did the whole birth certificate work? Did you have to go to home affairs? How, do, how does that? Yeah, so... Usually, you in some hospitals they offer the service of doing the certificates within, but then now because of COVID nineteen, those kinds of employees are considered non essential. Okay. Stupidly enough, because how can you get a, a new mother and a new baby to go to home affairs for a full day to stand in a queue, be in the sun, be exposed to COVID nineteen? But that's besides the point. So because of these times, you're you're required to go to home affairs physically to do the certificate, but then usually you can do the, the certificates within hospital at some hospitals, not all so of were them. You give, so were you yeah, given that option that's, of that's how it the works. certificate at the hospital or do you still have to go to home affairs? Have to go to home affairs because the people who do the certificates are not in because of COVID-19. So they're trying to limit the numbers, the number of workers coming crazy, to the facilities. How do you... As a parent, go and say, no, fuck, no, I have to go take my newborn baby to home affairs. That seems like... Exactly. It's, a, it's an essential service. I'm not sure why they're not coming to work, but then it's just one of those things where I can just say, okay, what else can I do? Because it's a monopoly. You can't really go now to the bank mm. or to shop rights or what have you and buy a certificate. You have to go to home affairs. So okay. it's one of those have things that has to be done. Are you still you know? waiting... Yeah. Not yet. We're just gonna do it like within the next week. Next week, yeah. Just need to finalize okay. a few more okay. things. That's quite interesting, done. man. Yeah, but but yeah, I the whole home affairs thing and population registry is 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 quite a a problem. But we'll see. Maybe Kavuns has a plan. But I wanted to give an example. So I come from a township, Umlazi. The population is roughly about 1.1 million. But guess what? We don't have our own home affairs office. We have to go to town and share that office with another plus minus 2 million people. 
or in the surrounding area. It's just nonsensical, man. It but makes when, no goddamn sense. When you look at those but numbers, such is life, man. Such is life. that those exact numbers. You have to understand that is why Home Affairs has such a shitty attitude. Why the employees have a shitty attitude. I mean, if you look at the amount of work that they yeah. have to do for what they're getting paid, I'd also be fed up, you know. I'd also ask security guards to put idiots in the mm. wrong line so that they don't have to wait in another line, you know. Like, I, I get that. Like, I'd be like, okay, cool, I'll buy you lunch if you get those other people to stand in the wrong queue, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a yeah. system that needs to be uh, worked at. Uh, I just wanted to end off with uh, two things, actually. It's a report uh, by about in yeah, Russia. Sure. I don't think we touched on it. So uh, it's by Military Times, mm-hmm. by uh, article written on the August, 9th of August mm-hmm. by Vladimir Izankinov, uh, the Associated Press. And it says that Russia will perceive any ballistic missile launched at its territory as a nuclear attack that warrants nuclear retaliation, the military warned in an article. Right, the harsh warning in the official military mm-hmm. newspaper Krasnaya Zvezda is directed at the United States, which has worked to develop long range <laughs> non nuclear weapons. The article follows the publication in June of Russia's nuclear deterrent policy that envisages the uses of atonic, atomic weapons in response to be in response to what could be a conventional strike targeting the nation's critical government and military infrastructure. Um, after that, very interesting, mm. right? So that's kind of just, they don't care whether it's a, a ballistic missile, any attack will be a nuclear attack. Their response will be a nuclear attack. And P- P- Putin signed off on this, and it's crazy. Like, it's the biggest... Oh. Fuck you, and I love it. Like, Russia is showing their balls, and they're saying, <laughs> listen here, I don't care. If you attack us, we'll mm. nuke you. And yes, it might be wrong, but nobody's going to mess with them. They've basically mm. told you, you're not messing with us. Stop your shit. Because the US are pointing their yeah. long-range non-nuclear weapons at them. So, instead of having a whole arms race like the Cold War, Russia just said straight up, if you attack us, yeah. you're going to get a nuke. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I wish that <laughs> other nations could just say like, listen here, hold up. Start your shit with us, you're going to get a nuke. Uh, it's it's beautiful, actually. Uh, uh, it's scary, but beautiful. Uh, it's the biggest, you know what, like, yeah. The USA is going to think rethink their position now. They won't. It's a deterrent policy. Exactly. And we've always talked about how the uh, nuclear powers have always kept each other in check. And this is just a reiteration of that. You know, you can't yeah. mess around uh, with nuclear powers. And that's what scares me about the China India, mm-hmm. si- India situation. They both have nukes, but they're playing tug of war on mm. the border why aren't they just asserting themselves and saying listen here, mm. we have nukes don't mess with us you know like you have this <laughs> weapon of mass destruction right I'm not saying use it because we saw we're still feeling the effects of yeah. Hiroshima and so forth right 
But what I'm saying is, right, you have this weapon yeah. and this power. Why are the simple threat of nuclear warfare should put everybody should be scared shitless. So if you're not going to use the simple threat, yeah. of it, then what is the point of having it? Then we should all give away our nukes and then just resort to normal war. Like the, exactly, you get your nuclear weapons as a deterrent to the rest of the world. And whether you like it or not, yeah. the Russians have basically just said, listen, this is our plan. Don't fuck with us. It's the most Russian move you could ever get in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts, man? What are your thoughts? <laughs> I fully agree. I, I don't necessarily have thoughts, but I have a question that I'm hoping okay. you might have thoughts on. So Russia now says, you know, yeah. fuck you using nukes. And you have China and India yeah. and the rest of it. So what does this mean for the future of this armament? What does this mean for a world free of nuclear weapons? Is there, uh, is there such a world? Can we have such a world whereby we have no nukes? Is the possibility of having no, nu- no nukes even re- can, can re- realistic? Can I, I have something, right? I'm opening my book, opening up my desk. Right? I'll post yeah. this picture on Instagram. I have my Bible here. Do you see this book in front of me? Okay. My orange poly, politics 235 ah. political thoughts in Africa. I'll just scroll down to Leviathan by Thomas ah. Hobbes. Might is right. right? <laughs> Hereby is to manifest uh-huh. that during the time men live without a common power to give them all in all, they're in the condition which is to call... They are in that condition, which is called war. And, su- and such a war is uh, as is of every man against every man. The natural law is that we are inclined to fight. That is our primal <laughs> instincts. This book is the Bible, my man. You mm-hmm. can find every story in here. Right? <laughs> and I think it goes back to this armament, right? You can... Uh, I think it's foolhardy. Because... Who's going to keep it in check? The system is going to be skewed any way you look at it, right? So who's to say if I disarm, you're going to disarm and so forth. Mm. I think that we need to embrace armament, right? Mm. In the sense that I feel like Africa needs mm-hmm. to have its own nuclear program. At least one of our states, right? I think South Africa, in the sense, uh, we should have nukes. Um, and then mm-hmm. just... I feel like we need nukes and we are able to give a nuclear umbrella to the rest of Africa and so forth. Um, And I think we need to practice that. Um, Nukes keep people safe as much as they bring about all. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but then getting nukes in Africa is a catch 22 because if you get nukes, you might lose out on trade. You might lose out on, on aid. So it's a cash to okay, so it's a rock and why place. does India get it? Why does Israel get nukes? Why does Iran get nukes? Why does... Why, why? It's, it's cool. Yeah, it's but... It's called so life. It's unfair. If we're already experiencing sanctions across the board. So let's look to our neighbors. Let's look to Botswana, Lesotho and all of them. And between... All of our neighbors, we can say, okay, cool. South Africa gets the nukes and they'll look after us, you know, the neighboring states. And 
as an African Union, yeah. we need to step up and say, okay, cool, this is going to happen. Because what's to say, we, for example, uh, Mozambique or Syria or Egypt, right? They piss off one of them and then Russia or China decides to nuke them. Who's going to, whose umbrella are we falling under, you know? Who's to protect us, right? Yeah. So the African yeah. Union needs to get the finger out their ass and say, listen, uh-huh. yeah. At least one of us needs nukes, and that's that. <laughs> but, dude, we are eating time. Yeah. You, the bullshit bull of the week. Right. So, I just want to urge people to go to Dear South Africa uh, and vote for these bulls. So, a new bull is being brought, bring, being brought about, which says that independent candidates might be, might be able to run for and hold office, right? So... At the moment, mm-hmm. um, independent candidates aren't able to uh, vote or run for office. And um, they're trying to, uh, the majority stakes aren't trying to push this bill away that says that no independent candidates may run for office. So go and vote for that because it's every mm-hmm. citizen's right to stand for and, if elected, to hold office. And I think that we need more independent people in government. Um, I think it's bullshit that we aren't allowed to. Independent uh, candidates aren't able to run for office. And then while I'm on that, right, did you know Mm -hmm. that plastic bags are not banned, uh, but they must be recyclable by 2027, right? So the amendment states that Mm. plastic carrier bags Plastic flat bags must be made from a minimum of 50% post-consumable recyclable from 1st of January 2023. Now, the problem I have with this bill is, why mm-hmm. 2027, right? We're seeing the hardship now, right? Turtles exactly. are getting um, straws stuck mm-hmm. in their noses and all that shit now. 2027 seems so far away. I feel like recycling is one issue that we can't think about in the future because then it'll be too late. We're causing all these emissions now. This should be exactly. like by 2021, all of plastic is banned. Why is it that mm. plastic bags are still allowed to be exactly. until 2027? There are so many other alter- alternatives, especially if you look at how uh, eco-friendly a lot of people are in the communities nowadays and the eco-alternatives alter- we have. I mean, we have pasta straws, like the list goes on, you know, recyclable bags. You bring your own cloth bag. Mm. I don't understand why we are beating around the bush for this on this issue. It seems nonsensical. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. The whole plastic thing, man, especially in the past week, I've been driving past Delft and Pulini and Langa and the rest of it in mm. Kailich and like around Cape Town mostly, like other areas as well. And it brings me to tears to see, you know, the environment literally choking. Mm. You can just see piles of dirt, you know, streams are blocked, water's not moving, yeah. there's water, it's dirty as hell. It's non-negotiable. Mm. You know, it's where we live. It's where we get our, our food, our water from, our everything we need. So I think plastic, it's, that's proper bullshit. That bill is a proper bullshit of the week. So we, I think while we wait, because, you know, government is always slow, 
mm. we can take initiative, you know, use yeah. cotton bags, recycle the plastic, use a, don't use plastic water bottles, don't buy water, mm. just get water from a tap. If you use a, and most importantly, the one thing you learned when you probably were one, one years old or two years old, use a exactly. bin and use it safely. Just open it and put it back in and, yeah. and you close it and you're good to go. But yeah, that's me yeah. for the week, man. Um, if people want to get a hold of us, uh, like I said, all our platforms are up. Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we try to post stuff on there. I know on Instagram, yeah. I try to post some conflict pictures. Um, I follow a couple of accounts that post like really graphic pictures and I think it's important to see the horrors of war, especially with tensions rising around the world. Um, I think that we need to pay attention yeah. to these things because even though it's a primal instinct, people lose lives and life is precious. Um, so we need to embrace that. Exactly. Um, also, yeah, we are on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you name it. Listen to us, share it with your friends. Yeah, that's me. Uh, anything else, brother? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all I can say is now, if you if you're listening, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week when we yeah, upload uh, the next podcast. Don't catch COVID. Uh, stay safe, and yeah, don't fuck up. All right. Yeah. Do something with your life. Do something. With your life. All right. Take care. Cheers. <laughs>